Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This Ben Jarofsky Show Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Take it away, Benny J. Yes, indeed. As we speak, it is October 9th, D. Did you know that? Yes. Wednesday, October 9th. But when you hear this, it could be anytime because it's a podcast. Did you know that? It could be October 10th. I'll tell you one thing. If it were October 10th, you would not be wearing that exquisite tie that you're wearing. I just have to say that, uh, folks, when you're listening to this 20 years from now, just know this. Dr. D is wearing a tie. He's looking very dapper. I've been saying all day, he looks like a young John Travolta or a young Denzel Washington over there. And that's the last time I wear a tie around Ben. <laughs> Uh, anyway, bonus time of the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, and we, uh, of course, do the interviews and then drop them uh, a couple days later. So this will probably be dropped on Sunday. That's correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Mueller. As we always do on our show, I ask my, our distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. <laughs> so my name is April Prayer. I am a criminal defense attorney. I have been for this coming November, we'll make 20 years. And I started off as a public defender. Mm -hmm. I did that for six years, and then I've been in private practice since. And I don't know, about 10 years ago, I also added uh, civil rights cases to my repertoire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we sue bad cops and sue municipalities, and then I get to beat up cops also in the courtroom on criminal cases. You realize that the uh, headquarters of the Fraternal Order of Police right around the corner from here. Awesome. Yeah, they well should come that. by and say, hey. Uh, guys, <laughs> April, don't they blame Ben, okay? Uh, let me just say this. Uh, it was Andy Grimm, the great Andy Grimm, who's a frequent guest on this show, sometimes criminal justice reporter. And we usually talk about uh, uh, Smollett Gate. And he said, Ben, you got to have April on your show. And he sent me a picture of April. April's business card, which is so freaking classic. I used to have this line that if I ever got in trouble in the city of Chicago for some kind of criminal violation, I'm calling Judge Pincham. That was the criminal mm -hmm. defense attorney who was pre prominent. And he, he, for some reason, he took a liking to me, April. He always liked me. Uh, and uh, But now I think I'm going to call April. You got to <laughs> see. If I'm in trouble, I'm calling April D. Prayer. Uh, you got to see this card. It shows April. This is like straight out of Jackie Brown. Uh, that's a movie from the 90s, way before your time. And um, it's she's got her finger. Uh, I mean, I can't show it to the camera. We're not doing this live, April. Uh, she's got her finger on her lips, and it says, shut up, lawyer up. Is that your general? <laughs> Wait, does that say it on your? Uh... I have bracelets. I have T-shirts. I, I trademarked it. That's wow. an awesome trademark. Yeah. Shut that's up, smart. liar up. Uh, uh, that's my first call to April D. Prayer. Do you want, want me to give the number out so people call you? or just Not that it? number. That's my cell phone. Oh, number. I'm sorry. Don't give that number out. <laughs> <laughs> Guys will be calling her up for other things. All right, April, uh, before we get into what's behind the logo, the motto, shut up, lawyer up, and how you came to that uh conclusion that's the best uh, advice you could give somebody tell a little bit about yourself how did you be find yourself being a lawyer huh <sighs> i kind of it's gonna sound odd fell into being a lawyer so i went to duke for undergrad and i was an english major my second major was spanish and when senior year came i was like what in the world am i gonna do with the english major and a spanish major i didn't know what i wanted to do and i needed to buy myself some time mm -hmm. so i had this brilliant idea to go to law school but 
No one told me how expensive law school was when I signed for my student loans. I literally treated it like it was monopoly money. So uh, I went for three years basically to find myself and found myself in a whole lot of debt as a result. What law school did you go to? I went to George Washington University in D.C. Wow. And so wait, time out. Duke. Yeah. You went to Duke. Yes. Let's uh, just not skate over that. All right. <laughs> uh, I just went to Duke. Uh, Duke, of course, as everybody knows, uh, is a, a prestigious private school in North Carolina, I want to say. Yes. Uh, don't take this wrong. Don't hold this against me. I cannot stand the Duke basketball team. Mm-hmm. I root against them every time I can. Just please don't hold that against me. I April. get that a lot. You get that a <laughs> lot. Do you, are, do you root for them? I don't. I'm not a big basketball fan. If the game is on, I'll watch it, but I don't follow anything. So you weren't I don't one of those kids anything. that stood and jumped up and down, no. so annoying and no, obnoxious? No, no. I went to one game. One game in four years? <laughs> one game in four years. But you could tell me who the coach of the basketball team is. If coach I K. All right, sorry. Yeah. Oh, don't everybody be so knows, excited. Everybody knows Coach K. Correct. Uh, that is correct. Uh, thank you, Robert Muller. Uh, so anyway, uh, why Duke? How'd you find your way to Duke? You're a kid from the Chicago, correct? Yes. And you told me you went to St. Ignatius high school yes so you grew up on the south side of chicago how'd you find your way to duke when i was a junior in high school my parents had this brilliant idea we were going to drive up and down the east coast going from school to school and see which one i liked Mm -hmm. because i wanted to leave home i thought that was important and i was passionate about writing and so at the time i thought i was interested in journalism so they tried to push me towards northwestern but i said no i want to leave the city And uh, so along the way, Duke was the school that I got to spend the most time at. I knew a young lady there and I loved it, loved the campus, thought it was beautiful. And then I heard they had a really strong English program and that's what drew me in. Mm. So you wanted to be a writer. Do you still have any, uh, you know, uh, ambitions in that area? Well, I have three books and then um, three books that I published, published the first one while I was in law school. I used to be a performance poet for years, for about 10 years. And then now my writing, I did a lot of writing, obviously, when I was putting the board game together. I wrote all the scenarios there. So aside from that, no, I haven't done any creative writing in some time. Wait, so you were a performance? I did not know any of this. So you were a performance (laughs) poet? You'd be one of the people that are open mic thing and you get up and read? Yes. Oh. I did that in D.C. I did it here. And then while I was in law school, I released my first book. So I had it in bookstores all over the Midwest, all up and down the East Coast. And then I would go from place to place and perform. Well, you could see I really did my research before I did this interview. (laughs) Good job, Ben. A lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't know that. Uh, Have you ever seen the movie Love Jones? (laughs) I have. Is that your favorite movie of all time? It's, it's one of my favorites, yes. All right, that's in that one they do there's the the people who fall in love are doing these uh, love poems. It's a big movie for people who were grew up, came of age in the 90s, etc. and so forth. Anyway, whenever I think of poets doing performance, I just think of Love Jones. Um, so uh, all right, so you're going to be a writer, you're going to be a poet. And now you're in this hard scrabble, toughest nails going up against corrupt police. Uh, Got a card saying, shut up, lawyer up, Eugene Pincham world of criminal justice. How did that happen? Like you got out of law school and how'd you end up in this uh, profession? Well, when I was in law school, I felt really lost because I hated it. I hated every day, every minute, every class, except for my criminal law class. And it just so happened I got partnered with an older student to kind of, you know, help me navigate law school. And she worked at the public defender's office as an intern. And she was like, I could probably get you in. I didn't know what a public defender was. I didn't know what a prosecutor was. I didn't know what they did. I had never seen a trial actually play out other than a speeding ticket. And so they did a interview with me over the phone. I just gave answers based on what I thought was common sense. And they hired me on the spot. And I started working with a felony trial attorney there who had only lost one case ever. Wow. And I absolutely fell in love with it, fell in love with the clients. Um, fell in love with the clients? Yeah, fell in love with the clients and built rapport with the clients way faster than a lot of other people. Just, this is here in Chicago? No, no, this, oh, was, in, this was in D.C. I got you. This D.C. was in D.C. Mm-hmm. And they, they have the premier public defender's office in the country. And so it was just really um, a privilege to work there and to learn there while I was still in law school. It made me hate law school a little bit less. <laughs> but I was able to do jail visits and do investigations. And I actually didn't spend a lot of time in court with the attorney. He had me do a lot of his grunt work outside of court, a lot of research and writing. And I just absolutely loved it. But the best part was the client contact. 
So when I graduated, that's all I wanted to do. I wasn't interested in any other area of law. Now, what was it about the clients that you loved? That they were the underdog and that once you're representing felony clients, a lot of times their families have thrown them away. They've stopped coming to court. They've stopped coming to visit them. And I was their lifeline. So a lot of times this particular attorney would say, okay, April, I don't have time to go to the jail. Can you go do my jail visits for me? I go visit three or four guys. They were always respectful. They, because they knew that I was their messenger and I took it seriously and they took it seriously. And I absolutely loved being the one who connected them, gave them information from the attorney, relayed that information back to him so that he could then go and, you know, defend them zealously. So I absolutely loved it. Didn't want to do anything else when I graduated. One of the stereotypes that you see in TV shows about criminal justice lawyers is that uh, particularly if they look young and you still look, you, you look very young. I'm just putting that Thank out there. Thank you. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not. I'm ancient. You're younger than I am. That's for sure. Uh, is that when a young lawyer comes in, they're generally heckled by this. I'm just telling you what you see in the TV shows or the mm -hmm. movies or heckled or mocked or maligned. Uh, the, um, the defendants are rude disrespectful, et cetera, and so forth. You're saying you didn't encounter any of that? No, it was the prosecutors, the judges, and the court staff who were heckling me and who were rude and disrespectful, not the clients. I very, even to this day, very rarely have have issues with clients. I'll have issues with grandma because she doesn't think it's going fast enough. Or I'll have issues with the two, three girlfriends. Why is it taking so long? Or I didn't, you know, I'm not doing what they think I should be doing. But I very rarely have issues with my clients. Like I said, I build rapport fast and I usually keep well, that rapport. There was that controversy that it, I think it was a Cook County jail uh, where there were uh, defendants masturbating in front of their uh public defenders. Nothing like that has ever happened with you. I've had it happen once, but it wasn't my client. I was talking to my client and the guy next, and you know, I just felt movement. And I was like, what's going on? And then I made a joke about the size of his member and he put it away. And I finished my conversation and I walked out. Was it, it's I, all about how much, and I, and I can't say this across the board, but for me, it's about how much respect you command when you walk into a room and most guys know I'm not going. So they don't pull it with me. And honestly, if a guy's in lockup and we're talking again, that's his one opportunity to get his message out. Why would he squander it by ejaculating while I'm trying to represent you? You know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's always some other knucklehead in the corner, but it's only happened to me once in 20 years. Once in 20 years. And uh, so how did you find your way from D.C. to Chicago? I'm from Chicago originally. I always wanted to come back here. I actually hated D.C. because I didn't like the food. <laughs> <laughs> Chicago has the best food in the world. And, uh, and I just was, I, I was homesick. I didn't really know many people in D.C. For me, the law school experience was very different than undergrad. Undergrad, you kind of have to form a fam family quickly with your peers because everybody's from a different place. Nobody has any family there. And you're all kind of lumped together and you build these fast friendships. In law school, a lot of the students were married already or they were older or they were working full time and they were just trying to get in and get out and get that education. They weren't really looking to build relationships, especially in D.C. It's such a transient city. So it was a lonely experience. So I was just anxious to get back home, get back to where my parents were, get back. I have a lot of childhood friends get back to that and then start my career. Uh, excuse my utter ignorance, but don't you have to take the bar when you, for every state that you you work in so did you have to take the bar in dc and in illinois no i only took it in illinois because i knew that's where i wanted to live i think that has changed they have something like universal i think they've made more of it universal um i've, I've heard there have been a lot of changes with the bar since i took it 20 years ago i'm learning from my law students but i think they're teaching them more what is done in federal court than what is done in the individual state court. So in top, as, as your law students, so in, in, uh, in addition to uh, having a, uh, a full practice, you teach law as well? Yes, I teach it. John Marshall, I'm an adjunct professor. John Marshall just merged with UIC. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, the, I believe, the first semester that they've done that. And so I just teach once a week. I teach tonight, actually, for three hours, and I teach trial advocacy. All right. Now, let's talk about this uh, motto, if you will. Uh, <laughs> shut up, 
lawyer up and she's got her folks you got to see this we should put this on the uh, uh facebook because she's got her, her her finger over her lip like Shh, don't say anything how long did it take you to figure this out uh to figure out that defendants do better if they shut up yeah. probably a day <laughs> probably my first day on the shut job up. <laughs> maybe, maybe i knew that in law school even it's just people don't and, and it's not just you talk yourself into a bad situation or you tell on yourself or you confess a lot of times what i always explain when i do i do seminars and even when i go and promote the game i tell people look when a police officer gets a call over the radio, good, bad, cop, doesn't matter what kind of cop, he has bare bones information. He gets a basic description. He, if there's a video, he hasn't seen it. If there are pictures, he didn't get them. All he's getting is this basic, very basic information. And then it's his job to put together a story that makes sense to him so he can push it on to the prosecutor and the prosecutor can take it into court. So when the officer stops you, and you start running off at the mouth and saying little things. You could say, oh, I'm just leaving school. And the cop says, oh, okay, well, where's your school? It's on this street. Oh, that's two blocks from where the burglary happened. You just placed yourself at the scene of the crime. You might have been in class the whole time. You didn't know where the burglary happened. And the cop just says, okay, check. That's another fact that I didn't know. Let's put that together as part of the story. He's not a bad cop. He's not a good cop. He's just piecing together the story. Mm -hmm. And the more little facts like that you mention that you think are innocent, like, oh, I wasn't the driver, I was a passenger. Oh, wow, we think the passenger was the, the, the shooter in the drive-by shooting. Again, you just said too much and you think you're just giving innocent details to talk yourself out of a situation and all you're doing is digging a deeper and deeper hole. You don't know what information a police officer has. You may have absolutely nothing to do with the crime and now you've placed yourself at the scene in the middle of the crime and now you might be one of the leading suspects just because you said too much. So I say, say nothing, say nothing, hire a lawyer, Call for a lawyer. If, you get, if you're at the police station in Cook County, Illinois, we are one of, I believe, two only counties in the world where you get a free lawyer at the police station. It's a new program. And all you have to do is ask. So in other words, when you come in, there'll be a lawyer. At, at, there's a lawyer on duty at every police station in the no, city of Chicago? No, you, you have to put in the request uh -huh. and then one will be sent to you. But... Just think about the advantage that you have because we have this history of false confessions. We have this history of uh, dirty detectives who beat people up and electrocute them and put guns to their heads. Now you can eliminate that by saying, oh, the minute I realize I'm being detained, I want a lawyer, and then a lawyer will be sent to the police station. Initially, it was done through First Defense Legal Aid, which is a nonprofit. They ended up starting a program with the public defender's office, and now the public defender's office sends attorneys out to any station in Cook County. So that could be a suburban court, and that could be a suburban police station. It could be a police station in the city. And now you have somebody. You're not just saying um, in an empty manner, I want a lawyer, knowing you don't know a lawyer, you don't have a lawyer to call, you don't have money for a lawyer, and now one will be sent to represent you. So help me out here. Is it within a person's right from the moment he or she is pulled over, let's say, by a police officer? Let's say you're just driving in a car, the cop pulls you over. May I see your license? You show the, per you show the cop the license. And then they say, uh, I don't know, uh, you know, there was a burglary down the street. I'm just making this up as I go along. Do you have the right to say, I'm not saying one word? Yeah. And how would, how would you phrase it? Would you phrase it that way? Or what's the correct way to phrase it to a cop? You're sitting in the car. The cop has just asked you for your driver's license. What is, how do you state your position? I would say, I don't have anything to say. And if he starts asking questions about a crime, then I'm going to say, I want a lawyer. So your recommendation is never answered. Like if the law, you know, it's a standard line. Did you know, sir, that you were driving 70 miles an hour? What would you say? I would say no, because again, you don't know what it says in the code. In your mind, you're thinking, oh, that's just a petty speeding ticket. But if you were driving 70 and a 20, 
you might end up with a misdemeanor charge that carries jail time. That is correct. So with and now you've just talked yourself into it, admitted to it. People don't get an admission as a confession. It's all the same thing. You're running your mouth telling on yourself. <laughs> so I would say, don't say anything. You don't, it's, it's awkward when someone's talking to you, you feel like you have to respond, exactly. you don't. So time out. So, uh, so the officer says, did you know you were going 70 miles an hour? What should the person say? I wouldn't open my mouth. I wouldn't say anything. Just go. Yeah, I, I would, can't see that. People, I would but I probably just sit there and kind of just smile. Whoa. It, I can't even get the words out. What will a cop do if you just don't say anything? Well, um, the cases that I've had where, first of all, they remember you. <laughs> they, they remember you. And a cop will testify. Like I had a client this years ago. <clears throat> He was walking down the street, some kids in the park. I guess, I guess, I don't know if he was a homeless guy. I don't know if he just kind of hung out in the neighborhood. Some teenagers started harassing him saying, um, they called the police over and said, hey, that guy was, was picking on us. No specifics. And then the kids run off. They don't give their names. They don't say what the guy did. Cops go over, hey, you come here. He stands there and is completely mute. He never says his name. He never says where they say, where are you coming from? He says nothing. He stands there. The police officers were so baffled by it. That's all they talked about on the witness stand. He wouldn't give us his name. He wouldn't tell us his address. He wouldn't tell. So we went into his pockets and got his wallet. And then we searched him and we found cocaine in his shoe. Okay. Well, now you got to explain to the judge how you got to his shoe when you hadn't seen him breaking any laws. You hadn't seen him do anything wrong. He didn't try to run. He didn't take off. He didn't do anything. He literally stood there. So it makes you very memorable. He asserted his rights to remain silent, and he won his case. But won't they drag you into jail if you don't say anything? If you do not identify yourself. So say the police officer asks you for your ID in Illinois, you do not have to give an ID. However, if you don't give an ID, you will be detained to make sure you're not a mass murderer and there's a warrant out for your arrest. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to hold you to figure out who you are. So you can still hand somebody your ID or your driver's license if you have one and not open your mouth. The problem is people want to have a conversation. Oh, I was just heading home from church. I just went to see my sick grandmother. They want to say all these things to talk themselves out of the situation. Just be quiet. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it is it's awkward to have someone talking at you mm -hmm. and you don't respond, but you don't have to say anything. And it's usually in your best interest not to say anything, now, April, not even small talk. Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? I have. And how did you respond? It's funny. I did one of these trainings. This was about three years ago. I did one of these trainings. Know your rights trainings. I left and got pulled over on the way home and I did everything wrong. I did everything wrong. I ran my mouth. Why are you pulling me over? What do you want? You're harassing me. Da, 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 da. <laughs> and then in, in retrospect, I was like, I shouldn't have done any of that. So moving forward, I did it differently. Wait, you've been pulled over a second time? Oh, I've been pulled over m multiple times. I've been pulled over. So the, okay, the second time, how'd you, after you blew it the first time going, I know my rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, I don't, I don't say anything. I just give them the the driver's license. I know I have a squeaky clean driving background. So I just sit there and then wait for them to run my information. If I need a minute to find my um, insurance, I'll say, officer, my insurance is in my visor or my insurance is in my wallet. Can I reach for it? Always ask for permission before you move. Because other than that, I just sit at 10 and 2. And then I know that at the minimum, at the, I mean, the worst case scenario is they're going to give me a ticket. Mm -hmm. You know, if it goes worse than that, I got a whole phone full of defense attorneys I can call. <laughs> so, wait, that, I was going to say, if I'm in trouble, I'm calling April D. Prayer. All right, shut up, lawyer up. Uh, but you, you, uh, what did Lincoln say? Only a fool would uh, have himself as a client or whatever, yeah. whatever he said. Yeah, I always misquote Lincoln. Uh, and so you would you would go to somebody else. Yeah, I would so never you got some You got your go-to lawyers. <laughs> I got a whole line of them. They'd all be sitting in the front in the front row <laughs> in court the next day. All right, now let me ask you this: uh, You're talking about uh, all the uh, the advice you give a defendant. Have you ever seen a crime where your in instinctive reaction was to be on the side of the prosecutors, 
or a case, I should a, say. A case that yeah, came across? Yeah. Well, I thought you meant like, did I, I was I, I witness to a crime? Like, no, 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 oh. that's what I meant. A case that you like read about in the paper or heard about in the court where you go, oh my God, my heart's with the prosecutors. Yeah, when cops shoot people. <laughs> At least she's consistent, ladies and gentlemen. Van Dyke all the way. I was like, yes. <laughs> go, state. We'll, we'll talk about Van Dyke. We'll talk about Van Dyke. Geiger, go, state. Yes. Good job, prosecutors. That's the only time ever. Only time ever. Only time ever. Like mass murder. You're still with the defendant. Uh, I've never represented a mass murderer, so it would be hard to say. I mean, that's the nice thing about private practice. I can pick and choose which cases I want. I wouldn't take one. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the movie, uh, the TV show Mindhunter? I haven't seen that. Oh, run, don't walk. Uh, it's really twisted and sick and deviant, oh, but uh, gets into the heads of ma- uh, mass murderers. But uh, anyway, yeah. um, so this is, it's, 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 this is the world, the view of our criminal justice system uh, that you have emerged with after having practiced 20 years in it. Yeah. And essentially what you're saying, uh, it's a world in which cases will be manufactured against largely innocent people if for no other reason than somebody has to be arrested and tried uh, because you can't just admit that you don't know who did it. Yeah, so I wouldn't word it quite like that. I mean, like I said, whether it's a good cop or a bad cop, they're trying to put together a story that makes sense to themselves mm-hmm. so that they, you know, we all need to be able to put things in context for ourselves, make it make sense for ourselves before we then go and explain it to someone else. So they're piecing it together. And it's amazing how often my clients come in and they'll say, yeah, April, I did something wrong. But this, these reports are all wrong. And they will just laugh their heads off like about how much the police officer got wrong or the wrong questions they asked of the witnesses or how they just saw the whole, even the crime oftentimes is wrong. <laughs> like, I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. I did something different that was illegal, but I didn't do what I'm being accused of. And so, yeah, it's a lot of times it's just someone who's in the dark who's trying to piece together. And then, then you have the the dirty police officers who care less who they depending on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that is rare. By the way, uh, when I asked you about any cases that you're automatically uh, on the side of the prosecutor, you mentioned Van Dyke. What about Harvey Weinstein and Donald Trump? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd probably be on the side. Of, I need to know more. I don't know a lot about the details of Weinstein's case. I just know that there are, several victims who came forward mm-hmm. so i would have to know more about the details but yeah in general probably oh. r kelly too r kelly yeah uh, <laughs> love his songs but yeah i think he's gonna be singing them from federal prison <laughs> uh, and uh we'll get into donald john trump in a little bit i'm gonna ask you about because i i as a homework assignment i made april read the front page story in the new york times about donald trump uh, literally obviously has a card from april because shut up lawyer up he told his uh aides don't even appear before congress about yeah. that that'd be like if april said don't show up to court <laughs> well that'd be an interesting thing how long she would last in cook county uh some of the the interesting trials that you've had uh the cases this one is fascinating i've talked about this actually on our show um, we have uh, every Friday for what it's uh, Ramana Hussein comes on the show. She used to cover uh, 26 and Cal before Andy Grimm got it. So she, we, we talk a lot about uh, criminal cases that, you know, big ca- cases in the Tyshawn Lee case and one. Uh, and we were talking about this. It's like a side story, uh, April, to the Tyshawn Lee murder mm-hmm. case. Uh, and I can't do justice to it i really need you to do justice your client was a young man who was a college student in arkansas it, it fill people into some of the details i gotta say, i haven't been this livid about a case in a long time so i got appointed i guess it's just about a month ago now so the tyshawn murder lee case and when i got this client, I didn't know he had anything to do with the Tyshawn murder lead case. I got a call saying a judge wanted to appoint me to a case. I needed to show up at this date. I needed the person's name so I could fill out my paperwork. That's all I knew. So I go to court and I'm quickly getting up to speed. I find out that my client is a college kid who 
is from Chicago, but goes to school out of state. That, first of all, when I first see my client, he weighs about 120 pounds. He's got leg shackles on, handcuffs on, and is surrounded by three men who are about the size of the rock, right? And they're all dressed in green. And so I'm immediately like, what's what's all this about? <laughs> what's going on? And he's not the defendant in the case. The defendants um, are the ones charged with killing Tyshawn Lee. He's a witness. So he's a college student who was dragged out of his dorm room, out of state, dragged across state lines, brought back to Illinois, but this is the kicker held in custody for 15 days with no lawyer and no bond. And that's when I lost it. <laughs> all, all I gleaned was that little bit of information and I went nuts. So he was a witness for the prosecution who had cooperated for four years, had been dragged in and out, in and out of the state attorney's office, in and out, back and forth from the other state. They would send him a train ticket, bring him up for a day to their conference room. But they would give him a piece of paper with subpoena at the top, telling him to be in a specific courtroom at a specific time. And then by at the bottom, they say, oh, by the way, stop by room 13C before you go to this other court and before you go to this courtroom. The reason they wanted him to stop by room 13C is because there was no court date. And even though the language in the subpoena said, by order of court, if you miss court, you'll be held in contempt of court by this judge, blah, blah, blah. There was no court proceeding. So this kid ended up being held 16 days, no bond, because once I made the stink in court, the judge held him overnight another day in custody. And then after releasing him, that's in air quotes, he put him on house arrest for, I want to say, another seven days. So this kid has basically blown his whole first semester of this year. He missed three weeks, weeks of class, even though we wrote letters saying, please, please excuse his absence. Imagine how much work he's missed, how many lectures he's missed, how much time he's missed. His parents had no idea where he was and nowhere to contact him for six days. He had to leave his phone in inventory in the other state. And the part that pissed me off the most is that this kid didn't see the crime, didn't have any knowledge, didn't know Tyshawn Lee, didn't see the little boy that day, didn't see any of the three defendants in the custody in, in the company of the little boy, didn't see the three defendants together, didn't see two of them together. He was playing basketball after school. He was in high school at the time. And while he was playing basketball, an older man walked over to the basketball court and said, who's got next? My client was dragged out of class as a high school student, said, hey, were you at the park this day? Yeah, what were you doing? I was playing basketball. Some guy said, who's got next? Can you point out the guy who said, who's got next? He points him out. Turns out it's one of the defendants. That's all he knew. He's held in custody for three weeks, blows his whole semester of college and is treated like he's the mass murderer when he was brought from the other state to illinois he was flown here he said this was the worst part of his experience was being taken on the plane in leg shackles and handcuffs and having everybody on the plane think that he was a mass murderer when all he was was a witness now let's just break this down all right, just I should have said this up front. Uh, if for any listeners who don't know who uh, Tyshawn Lee is, Tyshawn Lee was a nine year old who was uh, killed uh, in the alley in the South Side, and it was a crime of retribution, apparently. Uh, Tyshawn uh, Lee, some relative of Tyshawn Lee, had shot somebody, some other a member of a rival gang. And uh, so, in retribution, he was shot. Very cold blooded murder, very sensational murder, very upsetting murder. Uh, like a parable that that has like reverberations, April beyond any just any routine normal crime of passion. It was cold blooded execution of a nine year old. Yeah. All right, so you could see why uh, people are upset about it. On the other hand, your client, let's just call him Billy for I don't know his name, so let's just call him Billy. Why have the poor guy's name thrown around? You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Did nothing. Nothing. Uh, and so my question is, why is there an assumption 
that he's somehow not going to cooperate to the point where they send marshals. These federal marshals or, or Cook I, County, these got big rock guys, the rock looking guys. Were they the same people that went down to Arkansas? No, no, no. It was different. And the people in the courtroom, they're called ERT, and I don't know what ERT stands for. It's like emerge. I don't. I don't know what it is. They're like the um, specialized team of the sheriff's department. They used to be called SORT, but then that got dismantled. So I don't know what ERT stands for, but they handle anybody who's in protective custody. And so because my client was being, was in custody on in Cook County and the defendants who are accused of killing or convicted now of killing Tyshawn Lee were also being held in Cook County, they had to separate them. And so anytime he was in Cook County, he had to be escorted by ERT to be sure that he was kept separate from the defendants on the case. Okay. So he ended up being housed outside of Chicago, but anytime he was in the court facility, he had to be escorted. So why the need to go to his college campus in Arkansas, put him in shackles and take him forcefully back to Chicago? Your guess is as good as mine. And remember, it wasn't for missing court. It was for missing an appointment with the prosecutor. That's why I was livid. Explain the difference. So a subpoena is a essentially a court order which commands you to appear in front of a judge. If And sometimes it can tell you to bring papers with you or it can tell you to show up personally to testify. But you have to be there, and if you're not there, you can be arrested. So the state's attorney's office decided to abuse this power. They've been doing it for decades, so this is certainly not the first case. Instead of saying, okay, we'll pick a date that one of the three defendants happens to be in court for some ancillary matter, some pretrial issue, and just have this kid appear the same day in case he doesn't show up, then we can ask the judge for a warrant for his arrest. They just picked a random Tuesday, a random Thursday, that nothing was happening in court and said, but issued the same threat and made good on the same threat, and the judge signed off on it signed an arrest warrant for missing an appointment. And I kept arguing to the judge, I can't do that. I can't subpoena Bob to my law office and say, Bob didn't show up, judge. I want to, I want him arrested. I said, I'd be laughed out of court. I said, the public defenders can't stand up and do it in their offices in the courthouse building. They can't do it. So why are these prosecutors above the law? Why are they allowed to abuse this power? And my client was one of four clients were treated like this i just think his circumstance was the most severe because he was actually brought in from out of town i mean he was one of four four witnesses uh, four witnesses yes, who were witnesses uh arrested all young black teens who were all high school students at the time and just weren't doing different things in the park that particular day and none witnessed the crime none and all were held as though they were criminals I don't know what to say. Uh, and what did the judge? What was the judge's response to you when you raised these points? His honor. <laughs> he wasn't very happy with me because I actually asked for sanctions against the state's attorney's office. I was like, "This is BS," and y'all try to pull this in every courthouse in America. No, not America. I say in Cook County, in every courthouse on any type of major case, and I'm not having it. And so he just got tired of me jumping up and down asking. I was like, I want sanctions. I said, I want them to be barred from calling my my client as a witness because of this abuse of power. And the state's attorney just kind of tap danced. They didn't really have much to say in response. And the judge says, oh, well, I allow them to do it. And that's when I went nuts. Well, you wouldn't allow me to do it. I'm an officer of the court, too. You wouldn't allow these public defenders to do it. You said this? Yeah. To the judge? Yeah. I said that. I said, not only would I be ruled against, I'd be laughed out of court. And the judge? He just kind of brushed it under the rug. And so they held your client over one more night just to let you know that they do what they want to do, not what April tells them to do. Am I correct in that, Your Honor? Yeah, and then <laughs> held him on house arrest, which is still a form of custody. He wasn't allowed to leave the house. Well, he wasn't even allowed to leave Chicago. His what family, house? His parents' house? No, he had to live. He had to go stay with another relative because his parents don't live in Chicago. 
They live in the suburbs. So they put but, like what are those things? Electronic monitoring yes. thing on them. And he had GPS. And he had twenty four hour curfew. And he couldn't leave the house unless the state attorney's um, investigating. Is there a civil case that could be brought about this? We shall see. Uh, oh, April. <laughs> not only does criminal defense. Not, not, not. There's a case, it's a similar outrageous. case in New Orleans, and the ACLU brought it. Mm-hmm. And I was actually reading the pleadings in that case, and none of their, none of the people in that case were held as long as my client. They were held four days, three days, five days. Same thing, fake subpoenas to meet with prosecutors. And when they didn't show up, they got arrested. My guy was held 16 days. Wow. Is he back in college now? Yeah, he's back in college. And uh, 16 days. Now, uh, by the way, have you ever seen the movie, uh, what's it called, The uh, Lincoln Lawyer? Yes, I love. I need to go see that again. Oh I need to rent it. I'm gonna see it three times, <laughs> so I don't like it, it at all. And I read the book. Uh, if uh, out there, run, don't walk. Matthew McConaughey plays this lawyer, <laughs> not unlike April, uh, criminal defense lawyer. And the premise is he has no office. He operates from out of the back of a Lincoln. And uh, hence the name, The Lincoln Lawyer. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, huh? how about that, D? Huh? I thought it was a movie about Abraham Lincoln's lawyer. Come on, man. <laughs> anyway, uh, by the way, I mentioned he is looking dapper in that tie. Sorry. Okay. Right, sorry. Every April, I can't every time I see him. Focus, but any, man, focus. Uh, I see. But uh, one of the th- premises, and which is where I'm leading, is, is The Lincoln Lawyer uh, never takes a case until he's been paid something <laughs> all right and uh, i've read a couple of books there's uh my, th- i think there's three lincoln lawyer books and so do you operate the same way like before you take that case does something have to be paid or are you just gonna walk out there and no something has to be paid i mean the general rule is get as much as you can up front because normally in criminal cases you get stiffed so meaning the case doesn't take as long as your payment plan takes <laughs> and you get this great result and if you get a great result the client is like thank you so much but i could have done it myself and then they don't want to pay you or you get a not so great result and if they're incarcerated they can't pay you <laughs> and so it's like you got to get as much money up front as possible but i mean the problem is, the problem has always been that my law partner and I were both from Chicago and the everybody who comes to us comes word of mouth. So either it's a friend or a family member or a friend of a family member or a former client. And so you got these personal relationships and you say, okay, it's my friend. I'll go see you at the police station. And so, you know, you don't always stick to that hard and fast rule. Mm. Well, uh, if you're Matthew McConaughey, you do. He, <laughs> he doesn't take the case until he gets up front. Uh, but, um, that was a horrible case. I read that poor kid. And uh, when I talk about it on the show, I contrast it with Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump has done no time in jail. He's never had been shackled. He's never had people come knocking on the door, take him away. Uh, he's never put, put under house arrest. He's uh, never had a judge taunt his lawyer and uh, dismiss the arguments that his lawyers made. Quite the contrary. Uh, Donald Trump, and as, as you know now from having done your homework assignment and reading that newspaper story, has effectively, April, given two middle fingers yeah. to the Justice Department. To, not to Justice Department, to the justice system. He's got congressmen investigating his misdeeds, alleged misdeeds, I'll add that to the sentence, his alleged misdeeds in uh, connection to his dealings with the Ukrainian president. And they're investigating him, and they have subpoena power. And they have the right, the authority to use that subpoena power to command that Donald Trump uh, bring uh, turn over documents to them for review and to provide aides uh, to come testify. Mm-hmm. He has ordered his aides not to testify. He has refused to turn over documents, says he won't do it. And furthermore, he is publicly trash talking. I mean, tra- it'd be like if your client from Arkansas 
got up there and called Andy Grimm over. Hey, Andy, <laughs> got the paper out, got the paper out. Let me tell you this about that prosecutor, that low-life witch hunt hoax prosecutor. How long, April, would your client be allowed to say those things before he's thrown into jail. Just asking About this. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. <laughs> if that. Wow. As soon as the rant started, the sheriffs will start coming for him in that the judge's something. direction. So you read that article about Donald Trump giving the two middle fingers high. I know there's a part of you that like is always on the side of the defendant. No. Okay. No, I, I, I hate Donald Trump, so no, I'm never on his side. You're not, it's, it's like he misunderstood the whole shut up, lawyer up. First of all, <laughs> he's been told since, I don't know, the beginning to stop running his mouth on TV. I think that's why he runs through so many lawyers because they're like, okay, dude, stop talking so much. Stop. Stop making all these statements. I mean, early on, just, okay, sit down. Maybe don't be so vocal about this. Change the topic. And he's always saying too much. So now you can't double down and order your staff, okay, now all of you shut up. <laughs> and none of you respond to a court order to appear somewhere. So the subpoena power a subpoena is not just some letter you get in the mail that you throw away and you tend to when you want to tend to. You have to comply with the subpoena. And so I don't even know what his staffers will do. So they've all been ordered by him not to comply. But if they don't comply, then they have their own consequences to face that he can't control. So... If I'm in violation of a subpoena, I receive a subpoena and I blow it off, I can be arrested. I can be criminally prosecuted. I can be held in contempt. I can be all these different things can happen to me as an individual, regardless of what my boss told me to do or not to do, no matter who my boss is. So I think they're all in a very difficult situation to have been ordered by the president of the United States not to comply but they could face their own criminal and possibly civil consequences. Who would, when you say face uh, civil consequences, the Justice Department is controlled by Donald Trump. So who would prosecute them? I, my understanding, I thought the subpoenas were coming from the Senate. They were coming from the Congress. They were coming from the Congress. Yeah, House of Representatives. So I'm just trying to figure out who would criminally prosecute them. Uh, does Congress have the ability to criminally prosecute? I think prosecute they have us? their own. I think they have their own powers, but I'm not certain. Well, I've never they have their own powers to enforce the subpoenas. So that means that there are probably congressional marshals or something that could be dispatched. I'm, I know that they can hold you in contempt for failing to respond to the subpoena or, or re respond in a way that they deem appropriate. Well, maybe those three guys in green will look like the rock could, could <laughs> go over to Washington. Uh, now tell me if you share my cynicism here or disagree with me vehemently. If you do, ultimately, I think that dispute between uh, Trump and Congress will go be litigated I believe that uh, it's it's a basic constitutional crisis. Does the executive branch have the the right uh, to give the two middle fingers to the legislative branch? I think almost any judge in this country who's not a, a, a political flunky would say no. They don't have the right to do that. We have a separation of powers. It's in our constitution. You have to turn over those documents. Okay. Uh, and uh, until you get to the Supreme Court, and this is where I get cynical. Mm. Um, I believe that those judges that Donald Trump nominated as Supreme Court will act as political pawns of Donald Trump. This is just my cynical belief. I'm applying the things I've learned in the city of Chicago, covering mm -hmm. politics for all these years, April, to uh, the, uh, the White House uh, and the judiciary. So my, my guess is that uh, Donald Trump's best shot will come uh, when it comes before the Supreme Court and those judges make a political decision like they're going with the boss and forget whatever they learned in the Constitution. Do you share my utter cynicism or do you think I'm being too cynical and do you believe that justice will prevail? 
<laughs> I don't know that justice ever prevails. I think that that's the appropriate place for it to be heard, meaning the courts. And I think that that would be the appropriate response of the White House saying, we receive these subpoenas. We believe they're improper. Let's litigate it now and try to quash these subpoenas. That's the proper way to handle it, not simply saying, well, we're going to ignore it. <laughs> we're going to pretend like we didn't get this or this is just, you know, a mailer from a local advertiser and we're going to throw it in the trash. I don't think that's the way to handle it. I I don't know if the Supreme Court can do that, saying that because it's the, the subpoena power I don't know that they can say that any government agency, regardless of which branch it is, can say, I can ignore this subpoena power. I don't know that even the people that he appointed can make a ruling like that. Now, they may make some ruling, ruling saying the president himself doesn't have to respond to a specific subpoena or doesn't have to appear before um, Congress, but his staffers, I don't know how they can make that, that ruling to say that they're suddenly immune from subpoena power. I don't know, but I lived long enough to see uh, five justices vote to end the 2000 presidential campaign and award it for, uh, to George Bush. I am old enough to remember that. So I see judges do all kinds of interesting yeah. things when politics are involved. And then the judges, they wrote that decision. They go, well, this decision only applies to this. So burn after reading, basically. So anything is possible. Um but I, I, I can't just get over the contrast, and it just hits me hard between what happened to your client, and which is just like happens all the time in the Cook County uh, criminal justice system. Yeah. And what Donald Trump is doing right now. I, I just can't get over that. Yeah. My kid who was compliant and says, oh, hey, by the way, that date doesn't work for me because I'm going back to school. <laughs> who actually complied got got locked up as opposed to somebody who's saying go to hell we're not going to cooperate yeah. in any way and it will never and there's no recourse currently yeah. i mean maybe there will be down the line but i you know not for the president himself yeah. but for those under him i think that they may have some problems oh they may have like i don't know if you know this but michael cohen the uh, president trump's own lawyer is in federal prison yeah. right now yeah. so isn't that interesting the <laughs> lawyers so you better keep your eye open on that one april uh, well he may be keeping the cell warm for, for trump for to join him Come after, on, Donnie. after he's not in office anymore uh all right now before i let you go i cannot let you let you leave this studio with asking you about Smollett Gate. It is one of our favorite <laughs> topics of conversation here. And so many people, I just want to, you know, when it was really hot and heavy, would come into the studio. And what would they say, D? Uh, ben, don't ask me any questions about Kim Fox. Because they didn't quite know what to say about it. Why? So, I, why, you ask? Why? Would, why? Well, uh, that's a great question. Uh, do, do you really not know the answer? No, I don't know the answer. Well, th these were generally people of the liberal persuasion, and they hadn't figured out uh, a, a suitably politically uh, correct response to uh, either de defend Kim Fox for what went down at Smollett Gate or to criticize Kim Fox for what went down in Smollett Gate. So... Um, I, uh, so they would just say, Ben, don't ask me about Kim Such Fox. a cop out. Welcome to Chicago. Uh, so anyway, what's your take on Smollett Gate? Oh, wow. I say, how many ways can we waste taxpayer dollars? That's what I say every time the story pops up on the news. I'm like, this is the case that absolutely won't die. Now, the deal that Jesse got that was some backdoor negotiations that should not have happened, okay? There's no question about that. You can ask any defense attorney in Chicago. They're going to say the same thing. They could not have gotten the same deal in the same manner that Jesse did. We're not going to get a court date um, that isn't scheduled to go rush in and get the case expunged or 
uh, what they do, seal it in three hours. Mm-hmm. And my understanding is Andy was trying to get a copy of the file and couldn't even get that. The clerk was like, no, stay away from my file. So that is never, ever, 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 ever going to happen. The closest is I had a client who was charged with the same statute. He was charged with the, it's, it's, it's under the disorderly conduct statute, oddly enough, for making a false police report. And he ended up, I think he ended up being offered a misdemeanor conviction with community service. So the difference here is Jesse got just community service. Mm -hmm. The city took his bond, which I don't, I've never heard of that before. This $10,000 bond just automatically gets reallocated elsewhere that made it seem very shady and then the fact that it was all kind of done hush hush in a rushed manner um kim's dealings i don't know if my understanding is her first assistant did it but i don't understand how her office supposedly recused themselves of the case and then you still have an assistant working on it it still says kim fox on all of the pleadings you still are an agent of kim fox so i never did understand that if you recuse yourself it's going to be cleaner more like it was in the van dyke case where another prosecutor's mm-hmm. office comes in and handles the manner not hey i'm not personally on the case but you're my buddy and you're one step down so you're going to handle it for me and i'm gonna whisper in your ear and look over your shoulder it doesn't work like that so the whole case the way the handling of it what we're told as lawyers when we first i don't know if it's when we're sworn into the bar or when we're taking the ethics courses is to avoid the appearance of impropriety mm-hmm. this appeared Really, really, really bad, really sketchy, really shady. I like Kim. She's all right. We've only met a couple times. We've been on a couple panels together. I think she generally has good intentions, but this was a bad call. But on the flip side, I think the cops were lying. I think they did a shoddy investigation. They spent all this time and energy on it, acting like it was the the murder mystery of the century. And then they had egg on their face when they realized, oh, well, maybe things aren't really the way that we said they were in the media. They aren't really the way that things that Eddie Johnson got on TV and said they were, and they found themselves looking bad. And I think some of that may come out with this new prosecutor getting on the case. Well, I'll tell you so, what. But I don't know why people are scared to touch it. Yeah, it was a shady deal. I would never get it. I don't have the clout to walk in and have everybody in the courtroom bow down and give me what I want um, and make the case magically go away. But no, the imagine repercussions it was a phone call made, yeah, yeah. But then the repercussions for this kid are, are really ridiculous. I mean, for there to be sixteen counts filed in the first place for making a false repeat, false police report is typical of Cook County State's Attorney's Office, and they're overcharging, <laughs> um, overreaching, and he should have simply gotten. What he got was community service, a slap on the wrist. They're, they should have never gotten their hands on his $10,000. By the that. way, you can tell that April is a criminal defense lawyer. You can see just how she's going at this one. <laughs> That's correct. Uh, that is correct. Uh, this is a criminal defense lawyer. I'm just going to leave the whole thing about the shady police investigation, man. Uh, it was actually one of the more thorough police investigations I've seen. By the way, I will say this. Um, I make... I'm, I'm like, uh, critical of kim fox for the way she handled this obviously uh a lot of questions but i believe a lot of the reaction the response is retribution for the political stand that kim fox has taken or the what she represents in terms of changing the attitudes about criminal justice and how it's prosecuted so i think that's part of the blowback but after i read the story in the paper uh, that andy grim wrote about your client and listen to you i'm very i'm way more upset with the state's attorney's office for what they did the prosecutors for what they did in that case than they what what they did in smollett gate and but your case no one will talk about that except for me for the you know what i'm saying but smollett gate will be talking about forever yeah because he's a celebrity and there's political by the way have you seen uh david chappelle's bit on uh, smollett no i haven't seen it run don't walk it's hilarious (laughs) (laughs) i mean say what you will but it's pretty funny Anyway, April, thank you so much for coming. It's been a blast talking to you. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have. Thanks so much for having me on. And we're going to bring you back sometime. She's got a board game, right, Dee? We're going to bring her back. We're going to play the board game. Uh, That's on the back. The Justice Junkie. 
uh, Just Us Junkie, J-U-S-T-U-S Junkie, uh, www.justusjunkie.com if you want to get a hold of April and you want to buy her game. Yes. Tell, tell people about this board game. So it is a um, tabletop game, an old school tabletop game that teaches teens and their families how to interact with police safely, how to make it home after a police inter- encounter, and how to avoid the criminal justice system. And the way it teaches them that is through 54 real-life scenarios they could find themselves in. And they walk away after playing just one time knowing seven different rules of police encounters. So people can play once or they can play 10 times, and each time they'll see different scenarios that they could find themselves in. And that way, five years from now, five months from now, when they're out with their friends, and they don't even remember playing the game, but they see this scenario start to play out. They're like, uh, I know this is badly. I don't know why I know this, but we need to go the other way. And therefore they'll kick in their critical thinking. They will make a different decision and they will not ever need my services as a criminal defense attorney. Mm, I doubt that. Uh, <laughs> but I will say this, there's the Lincoln lawyer and then there's shut up lawyer up lawyer. Uh, April, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's uh, April. I'm Ben Jarofsky. It's another bonus show on the Ben Jarofsky Show. Take care, everybody.